everybody. Welcome to Spooky Spouses. I'm Lindsay Reed. I am Jordan Reed, and we have the giggles. Uh, <laughs> and welcome to our podcast. We talk about everything spooky, urban legends, Steve, cryptozoology, <laughs> scary personal stories, ghost, <laughs> ghosts, <laughs> ghosts, and. <laughs> And the boogeyman. <laughs> we are done. Ghost, the boogeyman, Bigfoot. <laughs> we can't. Oh, we'll edit. We'll edit around it. It'll be good. Oh boy. <laughs> you can't. Even I can do it. it. I can do it. I can do it. The boogeyman, fish creatures, anything and everything that is paranormal related, we'll talk about. Yeah. Lindsay will research a topic, I'll research a topic, and we'll bring him in without the other person knowing what we've researched, <laughs> and we discuss it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is our last episode of 2017, which is weird, because in the future, when this will be available for you guys to listen to... It'll be 2018. So this is coming to you from the past. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> How wacky. It usually is. How wacky but... is that? But like a year in the past. Well, yeah. a, a few hours, but that's okay. I guess we're just shaking out our sillies today. Jordan's uh, very giggly today. I'm very giggly. We had to start a few times because we just kept giggling. We couldn't handle it. But that's okay. It's, yeah. been, it's been snowy and we've been cooped up. <laughs> we have been cooped up. It's very snowy in Ohio right now. It's also extremely cold in Ohio. It's very cold in Ohio right now. <clears throat> I took Molly outside this morning at 5 a.m. and I checked my phone to see the weather and it was a thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> Which means no. It just meant, oh, bummer, buddy. Bummer, bud. But yeah, we usually don't know each other's topics, which makes it kind of fun. So we kind of listen with you. Yeah. We do. We do. <laughs> we absolutely 100% do listen with you. Uh, last week was our Christmas episode. Um, we talked a little bit about Krampus. We talked about other, what, Christmas... Christmas critters. Christmas creatures. The, critters. The Yule Cat. What's the one, guys? Bell Snickle. Bell Snickle. Uh, the Jula Cat. Oh, that's that's the Yule Cat. Grilla. Grilla. Frau Perkta, I think it was. Yeah, pretty scary. And turns out that Iceland wins the race for having the most macabre holiday horror. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> That's a, this is a little recap from last week's episode. A little recap. We also had the Mary Molly Monster giveaway, which we'll talk about again later. For those of you who have already participated, awesome. We're very excited. Been a lot of really good answers. Yeah, there's been some good answers. So you still have time and there's great prizes, but... If you're listening, Danny and or Elliot, you guys said really good answers. We went to get ramen with you recently and your answers are very good. So make them public. Yeah, share them with us at spooky underscore spouses on Instagram or Twitter. And then spooky spouses cast at gmail.com. Yeah, if you want to send a good old email. Just a good old email. We'll read your reasonings. Yeah, but we'll talk about <clears throat> it a little later. I know that I started last week. So if you want to start this week with your story. I will start this week. <laughs> As your last story for 2017. Now you say story, collection of stories. Some, it's probably a list, because most people, of the time it's a list with you. It's not a list as much as it is a collection. Okay. 
This is my collection. Your, uh, I was going to say like Reader's Digest collection or it's a collection of things. Okay. So there are multiple stores. It's actually, no, it's just my favorite ads in the new Ikea catalog. (laughs) (laughs) Which are most of them though, because they they have great catalogs. They really do. You know, I'll never, I I just don't get over Ikea stuff. I like it a lot. (laughs) All of it. If I had enough money to get us a flurgle for our wall and a sniffnarfle for our Dressing, dressing Oh, we room. have one of those already. A sniff narrow. We just haven't put it together yet. What's your favorite IKEA furniture we have? Um, the Blorg. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a thing. It might be. I don't know. Any but anyways. Bl- if there's any Blorg fans out there, uh, spooky underscore spouses at Twitter dot com. Okay, so okay. jumping into my topic, the last topic of 2017. This is also our tenth episode. Yeah, I know. Big it one may- the big one oh baby. If you hear a little clicking and clanking in the background, it's because we're enjoying a little wine for you know what? We our are. holiday Let's celebration. Do a small cheers. <laughs> okay. If this this is audio gold, one, two, three. Oh, how that wasn't resonant. A very good clank. <laughs> how resonant. Uh, yeah, Lindsay and I decided, you know, it's the last show of twenty seventeen. So we got some Pinot Grigio mm. because the bubbles hurt Lindsay's chest. So we're playing it safe with Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Uh, we also have a painfully nerdy table. We have a cup of tea, two glasses of Pinot Grigio, and a LaCroix. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you're wondering how things go down at the Reed House, pretty hard, son. And we just watched season four of Black Mirror, if you're a Black Mirror fan. Yes. Oh, they're so weird and wacky. It was a pretty good season. Yeah, I agree. It was a very good season. It I, I was uh, talking to Lindsay yesterday or this morning about how this season isn't as gory or uh, messed up as the the first three seasons, but we just watched the last episode of the season, and it got very gory, and I got a little squeamish. And Jordan likes to make fun of when I got scared, because last week we watched a scary movie, and there was a jump scare, and I wiggled my feet around, but Jordan likes to get really red in the face, scream, and then cover his face with a pillow. I did. I peeked my eyeballs out. I did watch it, but I did not like it. I liked it, but I didn't like it. Yeah, he couldn't do it. I he can't do, do the gore. Molly, what are you chewing up? Molly is systematically and surgically taking out the squeaker from her stuffed raccoon's hand, Ricky. <laughs> so I guess this is the, this is also Ricky has let out his last squeaks of 2017. Aw, she's had Ricky, Ricky for so long. Molly, how long you had Ricky? About five years. Yeah, about five. No, about three okay. years. Okay, ready? Okay, so, so what kind of story do you have uh, this <clears throat> this week for us? Well, we put this on our Instagram story this morning. About it's the book. About the book. It's called Mysteries of the Unexplained, and it's a collection of stories that Reader's Digest put out in the 90s or 80s. I want to say this is from 82. Yes, 1982 this book came out. We found this book, thrift store. Yeah, what an for amazing... For like a dollar. What a great... Uh, actually, Lindsay, I don't want to spoil it. It was $3.87. <laughs> oh, it was kind of pricey <clears throat> at the thrift store. But this then. book is this book is great. It's just shy of 400 pages full of... Here's some of the contents. And there's, there's big categories and subcategories. Uh, spontaneous human combustion. There's 14 pages just dedicated to spontaneous human combustion. 
in case I, you want to read about I, that I, for I, the I new year. I skipped to the end and I was going to say it uh, enthusiastically, but I didn't realize I was going to say bibliography. But there is a bibliography. <laughs> uh, cures and immunities, signs and wonders, prophecies, coincidences, monsters, spectral, spectral incursions. I don't even know what that is. I know spectral. I do not know incursion. Well, we'll have to read it sometime. Well, I'll read it. I'm not going to look it up right now because <laughs> I think it's par for the course being blissfully ignorant about a few certain things on this show. And that's okay. okay. We, hey, we understand Google exists. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so in this book, I have picked and I lost my, I found my page just as I said, I lost it. I wanted to read some stories out of the, out of the category in here, anomalies. Okay. Like ghost anomalies? Let me tell you what it says. Okay. Some of the some of the 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 prose in this book absolutely wonderful. Okay, so anomalies. I'm going to read you two sentences. This is the very first thing it says under anomalies and it's awesome. Ready? Yeah. I'm not trying to lead, you know, I'll let you decide if it's awesome or not. I think it's awesome. Okay. Okay. Any departure from the expected arrangement, general rule, or usual method is considered to be an anomaly and as such, is dismissed as largely suspect by the scientific community. This, however, does not keep the evidence of inexplicable events and relationships from cropping up in wondrous variety of ways and in a wild range of places. I think that's so cool. So saying scientists and people in the scientific community typically dismiss anomalies because there's no basis for comparison, I guess. Maybe these things are very atypical. A lot of times there are, there are many hoaxes. And I think these things get just get brushed aside like, oh, it's some anomaly. It's unexplained. It's something weird that we haven't seen before. Brush it aside. Okay. But the very last sentence says, as rational beings, we tend to feel uneasy when things or with things we can't explain. But in the future, as has been true in the past, some of our most fondly held beliefs may be shattered beyond repair. So, so if you find out about an anomaly and it and you find out that it is kind of true or it's unexplained, it mind blown. It will blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. Well, I feel like that's pretty common sense, though. Well, it is, but typically, like, well, at least these anomalies, yeah. Like there, maybe there was an anomaly in our fridge. All of the sour cream's gone, and I'm like, I didn't eat it. Well, neither did you. Anomaly gone. That I don't think would blow your mind if a year down the road. If I said, I ate all the sour cream. Right. But there are certain things, for instance, uh, weird creatures or fossils or bright sh- like bright lights in the woods or something like that. Right. Hearing a disembodied voice, some sort of an anomaly, I guess. And then down the road hearing, oh, these things are real and here's why, because we did research. Mind-blowing. Okay. At least I think so. Yeah. So I'm going to discuss a few of my favorites from this chapter solely dedicated to anomalies okay some of these things and i'm not well we never do it i'm not amping it up just for the podcast or just for the show some of these things are super super cool (laughs) i'm excited (laughs) okay ready let's hear them i got a lot of these out of there's there's a whole subcategory in anomalies labeled strange and improbable skeletons Okay, so skeletons that were found that don't make any sense. It makes zero sense. Okay. Or not a lot of sense. Okay, and why is that? Well, let me just read you the first one. Human skulls with horns. Okay, so like a demon kind of. 
well if we're if we're using the like societal like or societally accepted image of demons with horns then sure but these are quite literally human skulls with horns that people have found attached to the skull yeah let me tell you like about it, it wasn't put <clears throat> it wasn't put in the skull like back in the day how they did like rituals where it was like things were kind of embedded embedded in them according to this report no they were there okay so in sayer pennsylvania which is in bradford county in the 1880s is when this happened and i apologize for the first sentence except for the horny projections okay some two inches above the eyebrows the men to whom these skeletons belonged were, well, it says the men, this is also from 82, the people to whom these skeletons belonged were anatomically normal, but they were seven foot tall, well above the average height. And it was estimated that these guys were buried at 1200 AD. So they were seven foot tall and they had horns above their eyebrows. They were seven foot tall and they had horns, small horns growing above their eyeballs. And everything else on them was human bones. Yeah, so it's it's So it, it couldn't was, be an animal. No, they were they were allegedly, according to this in this book, they were it was a human skeleton. I guess two human skeletons. <clears throat> yeah. Nope, or just I guess just more than one human skeleton that were 7 foot tall. And had horns growing above their eyeballs. I don't know how large these horns were. That's but weird. Two inches above the eyebrows. Yeah. The find was made reputable, uh, or was, was made by a reputable group of antiquarians, antique people. Right. Including a Pennsylvania State historian and dignitary of the Presbyterian Church, Dr. G.P. Donchu. Sorry, I read the E as a C. Donahue. <laughs> <laughs> Donchu. Classic Donchu and two professors uh, by the names of Skinner and Moorhead from the American Investigating Museum and the Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. Some of the bones were sent to the museum in Philadelphia where they seem to have disappeared. So they had them. They had bones. And then they're gone now. They lost their bones. <laughs> you lose your bones. I don't know. And that's what makes this so intriguing or so exciting. So is... do they have any pictures or any proof of this? <clears throat> like not, real pictures? Not in this book. Okay. Not in this book. They do not. But according... Oh, and, and each of these things are cited from the either journals or medical research journals or newspapers or books that they're taken from. So this one has a citation at the very bottom. And this was written down and it was from a book in 1973. Okay. Um, but think about that. In 1200 AD or 1200 ACE, after Common Era, whatever the uh, abbreviated thing is now, that's non-denominational and everyone likes it. Um, <laughs> we do this thing in history where we, we realize that human beings weren't as tall as they are today. Yeah, they're so, usually shorter and smaller than we are yeah, now. Yeah. So, like, the fact that they found remains of more than one human being... Not only were they seven foot tall, but they had horns growing out of their heads. I don't know how large these horns were, or maybe perhaps they were some they they were so tall it was like some sort of a weird bone defect or something where they had right. lumps or something like that. But it's the, still odd. They were seven foot, and now the bones done gone missing. <laughs> just lost your bones. Someone came on in. Oh shucks, gang! Someone came on here and snatched my bones up. Hmm. See, that's one of those things that it's like coincidence or not. 
And it's like, well, you know, did they really find these things or was it just total like, oh, whoops, we lost the bones now. And that's the thing. And we'll never know. These stories could be made up, but they also could not be made up because, well, like like most things, we just believe in things based off of either faith or if we're interested in it or not. And this interests me. So I'd like to think that someone came in there and plumb snatched them bones up. Maybe. They were seven foot tall. Maybe. You think you know, but you have no idea. This is a diary of seven foot tall bone face. (laughs) And we'll never know. Now, this next one is cool. It's from Ohio. Okay. Big ups to our friends in Coshocton because this is where this is from. I don't know where Coshocton is. Well, it's Coshocton and neither do I. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I... I'm sorry, any listeners, if you live in Coshocton. (laughs) Coshnifton. Because I've never heard of that. Yeah, Coshocton. Okay. Koshokton, Ohio. And this was discovered in 1837. There were, a, there were a bunch of skeletons that were three to four and a half foot long and seemed to have been buried in small wooden coffins. Okay. So okay. maybe babies, children? Maybe babies or children. But I believe there were multiple of them. But the number of graves... So there were individual graves, and the number of graves that they found with three to four and a half foot tall people led the uh, researchers to believe that they must have been tenants, I'm, I'm quoting, quote, must have been tenants of a considerable city, end quote. So a bunch of graves with people who were three to four and a half foot tall were found and discovered, and there were so many that the people who found them, the, the researchers or the anthropologists or biologists or whatever, thought, oh, were there so many of these people that are very, very, very small, they must have belonged to a city or some sort of a civilization. So it's like a group of people. Yeah. And they each had their own wooden coffin. Hmm. Kind of neat. Maybe maybe not as intriguing because the more I think about it, well, maybe there was some sort of an outbreak or something in some community and everyone's kids got sick. And they That's what their I'm kids. thinking. Yeah. Well, we can take it up with the Gentleman's Magazine of uh, uh, from 1837. That's where it's from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd have to look at 1837 and see if there was anything in Ohio. I have it right here. Hold on. (laughs) Uh, Yep, it's here. It just says that. Okay. Okay, I'll put my magazine away, my very rare magazine. All right. Another Ohio one. At the center of one of the large... Oh, oh, this one's sweet. Okay, excited. Okay. (laughs) At the center of one of the large Ohio burial mounds, excavators in 1891 found the skeleton of a massive man wrapped in copper armor like how massive bigger than the seven foot horned people i don't know but i think it says it no i guess it doesn't but just a large a large skeleton saying the word massive in relation to a skeleton i would that would be me to believe that it's over the average height for that era and he was found with armor with copper armor on the head was a copper cap and copper moldings encased his jaws the arms were clad in copper, and so were his chest and his stomach. On either side of the head, this is sweet, on either side of the head were wooden antlers encased in copper, and the mouth cavity was filled with immense but decayed pearls. And around the neck was a necklace of bear's teeth inlaid with pearls. And beside the skeleton of the giant, so a giant, so a very large skeleton, lay that of a woman. The remains were found at a depth. Now this, this is wacky. So when... Because, like, a lot of times when, like, somebody in, like, a higher up or someone, like, in charge or 
has the power of a group of people, they usually have like a really formal burial. Exactly. Where like, you know, the King Tut, where it was like you were buried with all your possessions and they dressed you up and... Sure. But King Tut was, was not a gigantic person. No, but it doesn't say how gigantic this person was. Well, it says, but it says giant though. It says besides the skeleton of, or beside the skeleton of the giant lay that of a woman. So I'm not sure if they just didn't put the height of this skeleton, but it was, according to this, it was very big, enough to be called a giant. Well, no wonder he was in charge, because he was huge. Yeah, and he was wrapped in copper and had wooden <laughs> antlers wrapped in copper and a necklace with bear's teeth on it that they put pearls in. Well, yeah, because it's a decorative thing. I know, but that's just so tough. That's so metal. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, here, okay, so typically how deep... When, when you have a funeral for someone, typically how deep are they buried? Aren't usually six feet? It's six feet, and I looked it up. So the reason why it's six feet, it was just, it's, it's purely based on practical reasons. People were normally buried at six feet back in the day, and I'm just saying in the day because I have no idea what year, because they thought at that depth, animals couldn't get to them. Yeah. And there wouldn't be any smell. Right. How, how deep was the giant man and his partner buried? How, how deep were they buried? Well, I would imagine pretty deep if he was a gigantic man. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, more than... I, I don't know. How deep? 14 feet. Oh, I guess that's not that exciting. <laughs> well, he was just buried really, really deep in the ground. Well, he, okay. How about this then? I'm waiting for an ooh and an ah. Okay. Uh, he was buried at a depth of 14 feet in a mound that was 500 foot long, 200 feet wide, and 28 feet high. So they really didn't want pe- something getting to them. No. 500 foot long or feet long? That's wackadoodle stuff. Well, if he was like King Head Honcho of this group, then they gave him this like really fancy burial. King Bearneck. King Bearneck. King to, uh, Antler. Bearclaw. Bear... Papa, Papa Bearclaw. Papa Bearclaw. <laughs> oh, and I am reading down here more. It does say that he <laughs> did invent that delicious pastry. Oh, the Bearclaw? The Bearclaw. Aren't those like little donut pastries? Yeah, well, he did it. They're delicious. They are good. Okay. And also, his last words were, enjoy these trees. And then he no, passed away. that's not. Okay. I think that's it, actually. But that's pretty crazy. Isn't that I mean, wacky? Yeah. Just a big, like this monster human being wrapped in copper, which copper's expensive now. So right. imagine back then. That's crazy. Well, their tribe must have had like a lot of copper that they could a do that. Or copper. they didn't have a lot of <laughs> copper. And they used all of it to bury Papa Bearclaw because he was like the man. Or they were, so. just prim- they were just scared of him because he was humongous. Man, what a burial though. That's so crazy. Anyways. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think what? that's neat. Okay, now this one's from 1973. Okay, so fairly recent. Fairly recent. And I believe, yeah, this one's wacky. This, this, one, okay. this one, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going okay. to tell you what it is. And I want to let well, you... Well, you already told me it was wacky, so... Uh, did I tell you <laughs> I was making a joke? Okay. And it's a joke I came up with just now for you. Okay, well, let's hear it. Okay. In 1973, two human skeletons were found on a rock plateau that had been cleared by bulldozers for mining operations near LaSalle, Utah. Okay. The discovery was made by some rock collectors. They discovered an area uh, with discolored sand which typically means there was some sort of organic matter that had been decomposing. 
Okay. So your sand is discolored. In this case, I'm assuming it's bodies. They got the leader of their search party, or no, sorry, their 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 mining operation. His name is Lynn Otinger, uh, and they realized that this might be worth professional investigation. So they got some people from Salt Lake City University, a professor of anthropology, J.P. Marwit, and with some journalists, some photographers, blah, blah, blah. And they excavated the stuff that where, where they were digging, where they saw the weird decomposing or the weird discolored sand or right. dirt. And it revealed the lower halves of two human skeletons. Okay, so just a, from just the waist, waist down. From the waist down. Okay. It's Marwit's opinion, the guy from Salt Lake City, that the formation where the skeletons were buried was minimum, at least minimum, 100 million years old. That wow. is so old. So incredibly old. I can't even think of like what time period that would be. Trijanchic. <laughs> well, because that's before like Egyptian, right? I'm not going to even guess. I have no idea. Okay. I think so, but it's very old. 100 million dollars, Dr. Evil. 100 million years old. Okay. Which is absolutely crazy. And the bones were neither jumbled, which is a very funny word, <laughs> nor broken, indicating that they had not been carried to that site by flood water, and they had died where the bones were found, or they were buried right there where they found those bones. Did they ever find the other half of the the bodies, or no? Nope. Just the legs. Whoever went and stole the seven-foot-tall horn head bones went and stole these bones. <laughs> Classic, the top half. classic case of bone thievery. Oh, well, yeah, he only wanted the top half of the bones. Yeah, well, because that's where the arms are. And, like, those, and those, those are just are fun. The best part. Yeah, they're just fun. Those are where the flanges <laughs> are. Arms. To further confound things, these bones, again, about 100 million years old, had relatively modern appearance in terms of your bone structure and blah, blah, blah. So they were well preserved. <sighs> well, they were well preserved, but they looked like modern day human bones not okay. bones of it, it says here they were they were the bones of a man not some distantly related shambling anthropoid so not some <laughs> weird like half ape half man creature yeah. not australopithecus not your cro magnon man but a human a human being their their bone structure and the way their bones looked from the waist down looked just like modern day human being bones well, and like we were talking about before, like back in the day, people were smaller yeah. than we are now. But they were, but these bones were not. Okay. Which is weird. And even a hundred million years ago, even if it was some quote distant relate, distantly related shambling anthropoid, that would have been wildly out of place a hundred million years ago. Right. Uh, they were packed up and taken to Utah, according to Otinger, the guy who was leading the investigator, who was leading the mining team, Marwit, the professor. Just simply lost interest in the bones for some reason. Just thought it was not worth his time. A year later, Otinger, the director of the mining project, recovered the still untested bones and just let the matter rest. So I guess if this guy is still alive, he's, this guy, Lynn Otinger, still owns, owns bones. Owns the bones. He owns the bones and he doesn't have the capability to test these bones out and get more answers. So he just has the bones. Does he have them preserved at all? Because I feel like the longer he lets them sit, the it's gonna they're kind of gonna just maybe Ziplocs. <laughs> maybe he's got like really. Maybe really... like bring a girl home and you're like, oh, don't mind that there's Ziploc bones in my you know cupboards. 
You just don't mention the bones. They're the bottom half. of. They don't have the full bodies. I only have the bottom half, so I'm not a psychopath. I think you just skip talk on the bones. <laughs> you just don't. Brush don't past, bring up the bones. <clears throat> brush past the bones, and then dinner time and you watch Black Mirror. Okay. But I, I thought that one was wild. That is a little creepy. That one's wacky, yeah. The fact that 100 million years ago, not only not only would it have been weird to find bones or unusual, or it would have been classified as an anomaly, I guess, to find bones of a human predecessor 100 million years ago, but to find bones and remains that were preserved very well and intentionally buried where they found these bones, to find the bones 100 million, or of, of 100 million years ago or 100 million year old legs and waists, but the bones looked like that of a modern human being. That's yeah. so wacky. Yeah, but they they don't have any proof though. That's the thing. Is like they have these bones now, but well, but it's from the book Weird America. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to read the book. I have to read the book. I mean, okay. I guess I might just say that. I might just say the same exact thing. I don't know. Okay, so I have two more. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna go through through these ones quick. Well, I'm just basically gonna abbreviate it. They've also found frogs and toads that have been preserved and still alive encased in rocks like this is this is an actual thing so the frogs are still alive when they dig them up yeah but they're inside of a rock there's no air there's no nothing they've been living inside of a rock inside of a rock with no air with no water like that's the whole like what have you been living inside of a rock well, I think it's under a rock, but in this case, it's inside of a rock. Yeah, the... So when they dig them up, the frogs are like, they're alive and they're like, hey, I'm just going to hop away. Well, okay, so they were they were excavating somewhere in Hartlepool, uh, or sorry, they were excavar- <laughs> excavating. They were excavating for the Hartlepool Waterworks in Durham, England in 1865, and workmen... While they were chiseling away at uh, magstone, uh, sorry, magnesium limestone, 20 feet below ground level, they hit a small chunk of magnesium limestone and a frog came out and was alive. Did they know how old the frog was? I don't think so, but they they quoted that this is from the original record in 1865. And I just think this is very, I'm not going to do an English accent because I'm bad at them, but they said, the toads, the, the toad's eyes shone with unusual brilliancy and was full of vivacity on its liberation, which is so... <laughs> Very. Oh, it's so great. It's so English, but basically the toad opened its eyes really wide like, oh my gosh, I've been living in magnesium limestone. And then it just looked really great and was very happy that it was that it was free from its rock prison. Well, yeah. And apparently its color grew darker as it became exposed to the sun outside of the rock, which is super wacky. A local clergyman and geologist, the Reverend Robert Taylor, expressed the opinion that the toad, oh, it does say how, that the toad was 6,000 years old, living inside of a rock, untouched by air, how untouched by anything. How did they know it was 6,000 years old, though? Did they grab the toad and do some testing on it? Well, since the guy was a geologist, 20 foot or so below, uh, what, like, or Oh, they would be able to foot, do the layers of it. the rock. Yeah. yeah. So this toad is, is 6,000 years old, and it just pops out of a rock. Which is wacky. That is wacky. Now, something a little bit less believable. There were some people doing work in France, and they started chiseling away. They were doing mining or something, and they said that a pterodactyl broke out of the out of the stuff and died. <laughs> that a pterodactyl did. Wait, that's uh, in the book. Yeah. Then uh, I feel like I don't believe anything that you just said. 
Now, because hold they on. said a pterodactyl came out. Now, hold on a second here. Maybe you should have left that one out. <laughs> uh, the rock stratum in which it had been found, it being the pterodactyl, was consistent with the period when pterodactyls lived. So, okay. according to like the, the rock stratum, I'm, sorry, I'm assuming strata and layers of the rock, layers of the earth, matched up to when the pterodactyl would have lived. And the limestone boulder that had imprisoned the winged reptile for millions of years was found to contain a cavity in the form of an exact mold of the creature's body. This is from the Illustrated London News, February 1856. Was the pterodactyl alive? Uh, they said when the pterodactyl popped out, it was alive and then it died. In the half-light of the tunnel, something monstrous stumbled towards them out of a great boulder of Jurassic limestone that they had split open. It fluttered its wings, croaked, and died at their feet. So a pterodactyl broke out of the limestone they were chiseling went, <laughs> and then died. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that was just like a bird or something. Or or that one could have not happened, but <laughs> this this toad thing, toads living in rocks for thousands of years is wacky. Well, that's like if you freeze a bee, you can bring it back to life too. You so can. maybe there's something in that rock that like it was can so, preserve someone. Or it was just like super cold or the fact that no air and stuff was getting yeah. to it, it wouldn't decompose. Cuz frogs do that too. I mean, like in the winter, They'll, like, basically shut down their bodies and, like, hibernate until they warm up again. Well, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's a bunch a thing, of... so... Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of examples of hibernation in the wild, you know? And so I guess it's, that's really not that far of a stretch. Now, 6,000 years... That's a lot of years. That's a lot of years for a frog to be living in a rock. I'm on the fence about those. Yeah, I think... But they're, they're kind of funny to think about, I think. I think they're... they're at least for me, it's like reading sci-fi or like reading fantasy stuff. I just love that stuff. So the fact <laughs> you just really want it to be true. I really well, yeah. You know, I I, th I think I absolutely do. Especially the people who were seven foot tall with horns coming out of their heads. I right. want that to be true. And then I want the bones to be true 100 million years ago because then maybe that implies uh, time travel, or maybe that implies <laughs> not necessarily aliens but residents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, well, that's a good story. I Thanks, Lens. I don't know if I 100% believe it. That's okay. But it's interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's mine. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with all of mine. Well, we said we were going to talk a little bit more about the the Christmas Mary Monster Molly giveaway. Yes, we are. So, last week, we had a contest, which is still running Probably for the next couple of weeks, because we are not going to have a show next week. We are going to New York City. We're going to New York City to visit uh, my sister, Kelly Reed. Yeah, so we will be out of town, but um, we will be back the week after. But the contest is, tell us your favorite movie monster and why. Convince us that... Convince us that that's the best monster. A hundred million percent. If you listen last week, I say that my favorite is... The spirit that possesses Sam Neill in Event Horizon. Lindsay's is Gizmo from the Gremlins movies. Um, <laughs> both wildly different, but I think both of our arguments were good as to why they're our personal favorite. Yeah, and we've had some good entries. We also have some good prizes to give away. We do. They're very, very, very good We have original artwork. We have some Molly giveaways that she's excited about. Molly's our dog, if you don't, if you haven't been listening. <laughs> well, she also hasn't been with us for the last few episodes. I know. She's actually back with us. She um, chewed up her, well, she kind of chewed up her raccoon plush toy, and now she's just taking a nap on his face. So She's seeping. 
She's sleeping right now, but she she's bored. But okay, well, we'll take a short little oh, uh, music break. But to let us know, let us know on Twitter at spooky underscore spouses. Let yes. us know on Instagram. Or if you'd like to, if you want to keep it private, you can email us as well at spookyspousescast at gmail.com. So you have a little bit of time. Think about it. But hey, guys, you can win free stuff. Yeah. And it's cool stuff, too. And we might even be getting a few small little trinkets and bric-a-brac from New York City from the Big Snapple. Big Snapple. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll take a short little music break, and then we'll talk about my topic. Goodbye for a second. Okay, well, welcome back. And um, we just talked about Jordan's topic, a lot of buried stuff, you know, the typical, well, typical for a frog in a rock thing. Just your classic old toad, just your classic (laughs) stolen bones, and just your classic copper warriors. Right. With their partners buried 14 feet below ground. Right. Well, my story is kind of a mystery. Oh, Trey intrigue. And not a mystery like there was a pterodactyl in a rock. Well, it's a different kind of mystery. You mean not 100% fact that there's a pterodactyl that <laughs> climbed out of a rock. But mine is a true story as well. It takes place in New York City because we're going oh. to New York City next week. Yeah. So I did a New York City related one. Very cool. Okay. So what I found out was this was a real murder case mm-hmm. or homicide case. That's, yeah. you know, the part of it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of these cases that is called a locked room mystery. Now, locked room mysteries were like coined back in the day when they were like murder scenes would happen or incidents would happen and police could not explain why okay. this happened. And still today they're unsolved and they're just kind of sitting in a file somewhere. Just like our sour cream. Just like our sour cream. Okay, so this was March 9th, 1929, in New York City, a Polish immigrant who was 30 years old, Isidore Fink, came over to America. He was living in New York City. Say the name one more time. Isidore Fink. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) So Isidore Fink was a 30-year-old. He had come from Poland. Um, He was living the life in New York City. He ran a small laundromat business, and he would make a lot of errands throughout the day, and he lived in an apartment above the laundromat. Classic. So he was out for deliveries, and... Oh, laundry deliveries. Laundry deliveries. Okay. So he was out doing laundry deliveries, and he returned back to his um, New York City apartment. This was around 10.15 p.m. Okay. He got home at 10.15. 10.15 p.m. Um, neighbors had seen him walk in at 10.15. One of them even said hello to him as he walked into his apartment. 15 minutes later, terrible screams from his apartment, but no gunshots came. No, None other sounds but the terrible screams. Just yellies and screamies. Just yelling. So the neighbors called the police. They tried to go upstairs and open his door. It was locked, and they couldn't get in. So they called the police. Well, that's um, rude, you know, for him to lock his door. Well, I mean, you go home at night, you lock your door, especially yeah. if you're in New York City. I always say, I live by this motto, keep the door cracked. You never know why, what could happen. Well, if he let the door cracked, then someone might have stole his stuff. Yeah, it was a joke I made up, and it wasn't very good. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> the neighbors called the police. The police actually were pretty close to the neighborhood. 
and were there within minutes. The police went upstairs, the door was locked, and they were like, well, we'll go through windows. They went, looked around the outside. He was on the second floor, but they tried to look into windows and stuff with ladders and everything, and the windows were nailed shut from the inside. All of his windows. But no one heard hammering and stuff. But no on. one heard anything that was unusual unless, you know, that had happened earlier that day or anything like that. And no one really noticed that his windows were nailed shut, like, days before or anything like that. Yeah. So, the police climbed up in there, and they actually... Do you know what a, a transom window is? Are you trying to say handsome window? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, a transom window is, like, the windows that you... Like, you see around doors, the really narrow, oh! tiny little windows. Sometimes they're next to windows. I don't know. That's what those are called. Yeah, so... He had one little transom window next to one of his windows, and it was not nailed shut, but it was so thin that there's no way you could get in or out. Like, it was no. a very small window. So, I mean, this is 1929, so <laughs> the cops con a lady to use their small child to squeeze in there. Perfect. In the transom window and go unlock the front door. So the child goes in there, he unlocks the front door. And they go inside, and Fink was discovered lifeless on the floor with three gunshot wounds. Two to the chest, and one to a wrist. Who gets who shoots somebody in the wrist? Maybe he was know. blocking blocking a shot? Or, well, That's guess... what they were thinking, that maybe he got shot, and then, you know, the third one was going to shoot him, and he tried to block it. But the after searching the apartment, they found no weapons. And the door was locked from the outside. So how could someone kill him and leave the apartment with all the windows nailed shut and have the door locked from the inside? Could they have locked? Was there locking technology back then in the 20s where you could lock your door as you were leaving and close it without it opening up? No. So that's the thing. And I even <clears> question <throat> it too because I'm like, well, what if he had just a key? And yeah. he shut the door and locked the door. Or but she. The, but, right. Yeah. But the deadbolt was locked. You have to lock a deadbolt from the inside. Oh, yes, you do. Unless you have a key. You could, but this is also 1929. Oh, okay, Like, yeah. the, like, little yeah. chain. Oh. I mean, that's, I guess it's not really called a deadbolt. It's, oh, the chain was chained? Yeah. The chains were chained. Oh, the a chain dead lock, bolts, I guess. The deadbolts were locked. The door was locked. There was no, I mean, the police couldn't get in this door at all. Like, it was stuck. Like, See, they couldn't... Now, now the fact that you said that chain lock was locked, I have no idea how you do that. Yeah, so it's very weird. So, they search the apartment, and they're like, you know what? This is very odd. I know nobody heard any gunshots, and he has obviously been shot in the chest, but maybe it was suicide. So, they search his apartment. They find no weapon at all. And they actually, he was ironing sheets at the time because the iron was still on and this happened so fast from when he got home i mean it was 15 minutes from when he got home to when the neighbors called the police so the iron was still piping hot like steaming like the iron had just got to temp wait but they didn't even hear gunshots they nobody heard any gunshots so that's the weird part even if someone were to come kill him how did they not hear any gunshots so then they investigated because they saw the iron was on okay. and they thought maybe he had somehow burned himself with the iron and this caused death. But they they said that 
the wrist was not a hundred percent that the wrist was a gunshot wound, but okay. the chest was. So then they thought, well, if he got shot twice in the chest, maybe he fell onto the iron and the iron had stabbed the top of his wrist and made it look like another gunshot wound. But still, they still didn't hear any gunshots. And the doors and the, the windows were nailed shut and the door was locked. And there were at least two gunshots. And there was two gunshot wounds to his chest. So there's so it's so weird because there wasn't, if he were to kill himself too, there wasn't a way for him to shoot himself and then dispose of the weapon either. Because they had searched the whole apartment and there was no gun in the whole entire apartment. Yeah. So, like, if it were just the two and maybe three gunshot wounds, if that's all it was, but none of the windows were nailed shut and everything, like, wasn't locked up or whatever, obviously breaking and entering, but if they just heard screams, okay, well then maybe, I mean, that would already be kind of weird enough. But the fact that there was essentially no way out for this person? Right. So then they thought, through the transom window, that somebody had shot him through that small window. But that window was not broken until the cops broke it to let the little boy in. Yeah. So they kind of ruled that out. Another person suggested that that maybe someone had been inside the apartment and had used, I guess they did this big research thing that you could actually use a piece of string and lock bolts and stuff from the inside. But you still have to remember there's that chain lock. How do you lock a chain lock? Like, I mean, you have to have some kind of contraption to lock that, I mean, which is very odd. The only thing I can think of right now, and typically if this is the very first thing that you think of, it's A, either common sense and it's a good thing, or it's low-hanging fruit and it's just not, it's like, well, duh, everyone thinks about that, but here's why that can't happen. I'm just thinking of like some weird prestige movie-style series of magnets or something. Right. So it's either this really well-plotted-out murder or this just, like, coincidental, like, this murderer just, like, got a really good murder done without a lot of evidence. So then people were saying, well, what if he was shot before he went into the apartment, locked the doors, and was yelling and died? But... He didn't realize he was shot until he got inside. Or he just, you know, stumbled upstairs and was like, I need to take care of myself and then didn't realize that, you know, he could have, he was going to die. Was there any blood on the stairs or anything? No, there was no blood. And they debunked that because one of his neighbors had, like I said at the beginning, one of his neighbors had saw him go into his apartment at 1015 and said hi Mm. to him. But did shoot him though really quick. Just, just, (laughs) just a very quick friendly shooting. That's the other thing is that neighbor that they said that had said that he said hi to him. He or she, I don't know who it was. They were held as a suspect, but proven non-guilty because they were in their apartments. They were getting just like something from the hallway or something, and there was no blood in the hallway, like you said. So there wasn't anything unusual about that. There's still, I mean, even if that neighbor followed him upstairs and shot him in his apartment, how did he lock the door and leave? So I I read a bunch of things. In this case, honestly has stumped a lot of people. There was a bunch of crime buffs online basically throwing out all these scenarios and then they were being disproven. One crime buff suggested the killer might have been able to bolt the door from the outside using a piece of string, 
but it's not clear why anyone would develop such an elaborate plot to kill an ordinary laundry owner. If he was, you know? Right, you don't know what he was doing. Isidore, what's his last name? Fink. Flippers. Oh, Fink. Isidore Fink. Neither of those two names, I've never heard the name Isidore until you just said it. Well, until really quick before the podcast, we didn't know how to pronounce it. Maybe Fink was a Fink. Maybe Fink was Maybe he a, didn't do anything bad, but maybe he tattled on some people. Maybe he was a stinker. Maybe. Well, maybe he moved to the U.S. because he was bad boy wherever he was from and moved over here. And then they found him and did an elaborate little shoot-em-ups. Well, he had no crime record while running his business in New York City. Not not one thing was on his record. but Except for trying too hard. For trying too hard. <laughs> So another person suggested that he was shot through the small opening of the transom window. But like I said, the glass was not broken. And no one heard a shot. And no one heard a shot. Or three shots. They also indicated that the powder burns in his chest, the gunshot wounds, were shot at a close range. Okay. So So he was shot pretty close up. That eliminates my theory then of being shot through a pillow where it would be a little bit quieter but not super quiet because that pillow might absorb some of the gunpowder. Right, and I don't know if like silencers and stuff were a thing in 1929. I don't know, but typically they're not that quiet. No, I mean, I've never heard one in real life. Neither have I. I have in movies. And in movies, they're not super quiet. But yeah, apparently this has never been solved. Um, There's been books. There's a guy named uh, Charles Fort that writes about weird phenomenons and stuff, and he has this whole case about Fink's death. One person I thought was funny, one of the crime nerds, which his name was E.T. Killer. So, Oh, my gosh. But e. he had a good, Killer? But he had a good point. He said, the secret isn't who he was trying to keep out, but who he was keeping in. Whoa, dude. So, like, think about it, though. What if he had someone that he was being held captive? That Isidore Fink was holding captive? In his apartment. That's why the windows were nailed shut. The door was locked. I mean, that person, if they were being held captive there, they would probably know how to escape and come up with this elaborate plan to get rid of Maybe him. Maybe so. And get out. Which that might also play into my theory that Isidore Fink moved to the U.S. because he was a crime head. Maybe. Somewhere else. And I think moving over to the U.S. and like people's papers and things, there was no electronic database and stuff. Those things were like faking things or forgery or um, what? What's the what's the thing? Being a real sneaky? Yeah. It was much easier to do back then. Well, also, I forgot to tell you, too, that <laughs> this is because this reminded me of him, somebody being kept in the apartment. But it kind of gets debunked as well because the only fingerprints found in his apartment were Fink's. Nobody else's fingerprints was found in the apartment at all. That's weird. Um, My favorite crime nerd comment was from an unknown user. And they just said, who seriously sends a young boy into a potentially dangerous situation? (laughs) 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 Which is very true. I think that's the like... Yeah easiest one to be like well you know there's a dead guy in there but can you go in that window and go open that front door because we need to get in there and that was from user jay Voorhees. <laughs> i want to see like jason Voorhees from friday, i don't know who that is friday the third the, third, the jason movies because oh. et go ahead please but like yeah it's true like what and that little boy was probably around like mom or dad and the police yeah. are like hey we need to send your child and they're like okay well 
go anything, ahead. Anything for the NYPD. I mean, back in the day, people, you know, still trusted the cops. So yeah. <laughs> I guess that's not that hard to believe. But yeah, it's a weird mystery. It's, I mean, you can go see the apartment in New York City. I forget exactly where it's at. I think it's over by like the East Bank a little bit where a lot of like the immigration like came in and like a lot of the immigrants lived during the 1920s. But oh, cool. Yeah, weird murder mystery case never solved. That's Police really cool. today are still stumped. Watch, it'll be the next Netflix documentary series <laughs> about crime and Isidore, unjust stuff. Isidore Fink. Isidore Fink. But yeah, they never figured out Isidore Fink. They couldn't figure out anything of what killed him or what happened that night. That's super cool. Yeah, nice. that's it. That's all my story is. My story. Little New York story for us. My story. Hey, thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you to Eli Rexford Chambers for, for writing awesome music. For our wonderful music. It doesn't have a title, but it's very good. If you have any questions about any of the topics that we talked about, whether you need to know just more about a burial frog, or if you have any new evidence about the uh, Isidore, Isidore Fink. Fink case. So yeah, all of our Fink heads. Just email us at SpookySpousesCast at gmail.com or even shout out on us at Twitter or Instagram at spooky underscore spouses. Also play our giveaway too, because it's really fun and we really want to know about your favorite movie monsters. Yeah, it's your chance to spend one extra second on your phone or the internet, which everyone does all the time anyways, and let us know about your favorite movie monster and why. We have some hand-drawn things. Molly drew something, quote-unquote. We might get some stuff in New York City. We don't really know, but it's just going to be a fun little smattering of things. And we have other little goodies. Yeah, just little goodies. No, like, baked goods because that's... I'm not sure if that's if we're allowed to do that. And if you have any scary stories or personal experiences that you want to email us and share us about, we might share it on the show. I agree. Yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've gotten a few in the last few days, and we're very excited to get to them sooner or later. One of which we're doing some investigating on spoilers for a future episode. But yeah, we, we love hearing about your stuff. Even if it's something that we just, you know, can't really fit in or whatever, we, we, we love to hear about it. And we're always excited to read your guys' stuff. And also thank you to Scavengers Network, our new little network that we're part of. It's been fun, and I'm glad that they like the show. <laughs> I'm also glad they like the show. <laughs> yep, we're, we are now, uh, if this is one of the first episodes you're listening to, hi, hello. We are now part of the Scavengers Podcast Network, run by our good buddy Colin Parker and friends. More to come on the Scavengers Network soon. There's going to be a lot of new shows coming, a lot of new content, a lot of new things, bigger social media things, and some live stuff and everything. A lot of exciting stuff. So we're very, we are very much looking forward to what's in store for the Scavengers Network. Yeah, and hopefully by the end of the month, we will get to kind of investigate um, a pretty haunted place in Madison, Ohio, where we grew up. The Madison Seminary. Yeah, so we were shut down by the fire marshal um, last week, but... By the end of the month, hopefully we'll be able to get in there, investigate a little bit, and then hopefully record our show there. Which would be super, super cool. So please join us for that. I think that's going to be really fun. And thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for listening a lot. (laughs) Stay spooky. Stay spooky, stay real, stay think. (laughs) Isidore think. Well, goodbye. Bye. Bye.